Hello and welcome to Talking Automotive with Mark and John. My name is John Sinclair and my co-host Mark Palavestra. Hi John, today we've got Andreas Walker. Andreas is the CEO of One Global and Andreas has some very important information to share on the battle between OEM and dealer and how a successful relationship utilizing effective tools, online tools, can give you a competitive advantage, whether you're a dealer or whether you're an OEM. Andreas gives us some great tools of how to mitigate that relationship between the OEM, the dealer and the customer. So well worth a listen. So let's jump into it. If you like what you hear and see, remember to subscribe to our channel, ring the bell below on if you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe to iTunes or Spotify, and visit our website at autocurrents.com. With 30 years experience in auto logistics and state-of-the-art locations in five major Australian cities, Precar Fleet Services is an independent division of Precar Services, offering specialty fleet fit-outs for commercial applications ranging from simple tray and tow bar fitments to fully bespoke service body and accessory installation. With quality assured safety, compliance and standardisation of vehicle builds, Precar Fleet Services are a premier all-in-one solutions provider for commercial vehicle fleet operators, leasing companies, and original equipment manufacturers. For further information on how Precar Fleet Services can assist in solving your commercial vehicle fit-out needs, please visit precar.com.au and click on the link to Fleet Services. In the business of buying and selling cars? Then make it your business to join Flippercar, the faster, more efficient car trading platform. Connect to more sellers, find the right inventory faster, and buy trades in seconds. List vehicles in minutes. Instantly connect with potential buyers. Free to sell with no locking contracts. Deal with those you've grown to trust or grow your network nationwide and trade in Australia's newest dealer network. Transform your wholesale trading today. Flippercar, speed and connectivity delivered. Hi Andreas, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Maybe to kick things off, can you tell us about One Global and what you do? Good day, gents. Thanks very much for the opportunity of spending some time with you. But the company One Global started off in, in 2004, so we're nearly 20 years old, and our roots were in business management consulting. And during that, the course of exploring various options within the motor industry, we realized there were insufficient tools to solve some of the business challenges out there. And that led us to around about 2012 to start developing our own solutions. So we got a, together a very good IT team of uh, software engineers. Plus we as an organization have a depth of experience in the automotive space. And uh, from there we sort of progressed to where we've been in the software sp uh, world for about 10 years now, from 2012 to now 10 years. The word one was also, uh, it's got an interesting history, where it's based on the Swahili word for leadership being one gozi. And we just shortened it to UON being one, and there's a bit of a pun on the one being one view of, of the business, one view of the customer, one view of the vehicle, and one view of the competitor out there. So that's the origins of us as a company uh, as a name and, and sort of how we've changed and developed over time. We've got 10 main products, and I'll, I'll run you through them in, in, a, in a moment. Uh, the, the, the very first one is if you had to start off with a clean sheet of paper and you wanted to locate an ideal network and optimize your market share within a defined geographic area, we, we have a product called Location View, which is, um, utilizes GIS or geographic information systems to locate dealerships optimally. The second part of that is that we're the only company globally that we're aware of that can attach profitability metrics to location to ensure that there's a return on invest for the dealer. So that's location view. And the next product is, well, if I've located my dealership and my network optimally, I need some of a, uh, some form of a platform to, uh, to, to manage that network. And the, the second product is then dealer view, main pillars. The first pillar being a quantitative leg, and that's stuff that we're all very familiar with. It's about sales versus target your market share, all the sort of hard numbers of the business. And as, a, as the automotive space is very, very comfortable in, in the numbers game. The second pillar is 
qualitatively, where we look at evidence-based information to determine the qualitative side of the, of the business. In other words, what's the customer experience and what's the evidence around that where you can upload either videos or images to capture the evidence associated against a certain standard like corporate visual identity and uh, things like that. And then the third product, or pillar at least, is a communication leg between OEM and dealer. It's got a repository for all your bulletins. It um, allows you to manage your field staff, create agendas, pull all your various reports in that are applicable to that uh, meeting with the dealer. It's got various business rules that allow equity between dealer and OEM, uh, generates minutes, and also has various escalation functions and reminders of various points that are still outstanding against various timelines. So that's dealer view. So Andreas, can I just ask a question there? So in terms of that dealer view, you're giving a view not only from the corporate to the dealer, but also from the dealer having visibility on all his figures too. Is that correct? That's right. So one of the main challenges, uh, John, that, that dealers have is that uh, OEMs are on, 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 on big ERP-type systems, let's say SAP or Salesforce or one of these huge enterprise solutions, but dealers don't have access to that. And the costs are absolutely prohibitive to get a license for every single dealer or within the, the users within each dealer. And we act as the interface between the OEM systems as well as your dealer systems. And we would, what, what you would call a middleware, where we integrate what's happening at OEM side as well as on the dealer side in terms of their systems. And we write the interfaces and then report along the lines of whatever we've written as a bespoke solution to, to the two stakeholders, the third stakeholder being a customer. So there's a bit of a triad here. We've got OEM, uh, dealer, and customer, and we are trying to integrate all of those solutions as well as the intelligence around that onto a single platform with a single login, and you're not switching between, between various uh, systems. We recently did an audit, funny enough, of one of the main volume OEMs down there, and dealers at... 39, on average, 39 different logins and passwords that they had to remember to access their various systems. So we create one portal with one login and interchangeability between the various solutions. That's been the holy grail for OEMs, is to have that communication with one system and also to have their own, manage their own field team. That's something that's always been a challenge where you know, you've, you've got varying degrees of structure from the field staff and their reporting. Uh, OEMs have some systems, some have better than others, but they, they tend to be clunky and many have actually uh, separate systems where they actually have very sophisticated Excel spreadsheets that they put data together and it's a real nightmare to control it aid and maintain information security, but also to stop any uh, potential bugs or errors from occurring in it. So Andreas, you're, what you're just, I'm just keen to get understanding. So what you're saying is you've got a, is it a web-based system that can provide that solution for the OEM and the dealer to interact with each other and have full transparency on all of those actions, albeit with a different view. If you're the OEM, you get one view. If you're the dealer, you get a second different view. Mark, beautifully put, that's exactly what it is. And we also, because we own our own software, uh, we're not operating under license to anybody else. Wherever there are gaps or holes that don't exist, a solution doesn't exist. So we're not trying to replace systems necessarily. We're trying to get them to talk to each other. But should a system not exist, then we'll write those systems. So you exactly, wow. you're 100% right. And the inefficiencies surrounding what you mentioned earlier about spreadsheets, the security of the information contained in those spreadsheets, the productive time taken, for instance, by field staff trying to prepare for a dealer visit, uh, they, they're extremely busy, but very little output. And um, the value add in the organization is questioned, questioned by dealers as well as OEMs. So, we get rid of all of that. It's more push button and there's the data and the information and the intelligence immediately at your disposal. And it's more about saying, what's it telling me? What are we doing right? What can we do more of? And where are opportunities aligning and what do we need to mitigate to, to uh, neutralize those threats? Fantastic. That's, that's something I wish I had at my fingertips 
uh, over the last 10, 15 years. Because when I think of all of all the different systems, but all the manual processes that field teams work very late at night, they're doing their visits. But in order to, to provide value uh, to the dealers, to help them with their businesses, but also ultimately to get to the process of having happy customers, happy OEMs and happy overseas masters, it's very it's a big challenge. So you make it easier to look at the data and interpret what's the data telling us and then what's the action plan that we need to do to rectify or optimize, but also recognize what we're doing right. Mark, just adding on from what you've said, it's also monitoring those action plans and accountability because if yep. field staff are doing it on the email, someone leaves gets lost, it's not reported properly. So this, I think, Andreas, is that correct that you guys put all that together and you're monitoring all those action plans and who's accountable and feeding reports to the different departments? Yes. So should somebody leave or be transferred or promoted and is and, and somebody becomes the new person in that role, uh, because it's user role defined, the new person immediately has the history logged against their new user identity. If people leave, you don't have the um, the uh, institutional memory that's lost. So all in all, you, 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 you're not sacrificing your business's destiny on an individual. Rather, it's on a centralized platform, as Mark said, that's web-based. And it's transferable between, between departments, between people, between whatever the, the, the situation may be out there. And I think the greatest advantage is that dealers have got visibility, which traditionally they don't have. Um, the other thing that I think is extremely important is for dealers to engage, they've got to get value. Um, and one of the, the biggest problems in terms of mindset, the retail mindset versus the wholesale or manufacturing mindset, is adoption of new processes, new systems. And uh, we've been very successful in being able to get a dealer adoption. As a matter of interest, we've got about 4,500 dealers uh, that use our platforms in various forms and over 20,000 users. And we've got a footprint in about uh, 100 countries. So, Andreas, I'm getting an understanding of what trends are you seeing happening in the digital space in OEM dealer land? Well, that's a very good question. If you consider that the automotive industry is one of the most mature industries on the planet at the moment, and uh, we thought we've seen it all, and yet, yet we're going through the most disruptive period probably in the history of this organization. And the digital space in particular is probably the most disruptive. It's no longer just about product, but it's all about the digitization side. And it's a, it's a very, very big question. Uh, and and, and possibly I'm going to try and narrow it down a little bit. But I see four or five key trends here, and they, they're going to have major impacts on both OEM profitability as well as uh, dealer profitability. I think the one that's sort of top of mind and on, on sort of hot on everybody's lips at the moment is going away from your traditional franchise model onto the agency uh, model. And that requires, from a digitization perspective, direct sales platforms. And that the, 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 the chain between consumer and, and OEM is sort of getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Uh, we're in the process of developing a, a direct sales platform, and we're very fortunate because we automotive guys to understand the, the business processes to support a successful direct sales platform. When we benchmarked our solutions um, against other solutions that are available globally, uh, we, we, we quickly identified that they clearly weren't automotive guys that wrote these solutions. So that's one of the things that I think is very important. You cannot cut and paste for our industry. That's the first thing. So the digitization has to be bespoke. It's got to be bespoke to an OEM level. You can't say, oh, this is a platform that OEMs generally can use. Sure, there's high transferability, but high customization and a competitive advantage in the digitization is where we specialize. How can we make it unique to the experience of that dealer, that OEM, and more importantly, because it's B2C now, what's the customer experience and how is that unique? So I think the new vehicle space, buy direct sales platforms, uh, that's the hot button at the moment that everybody's pushing. But I think... There are a couple of things that are lurking out there that are going to have uh, further dramatic impacts, and that's on the service and part side. So the after-sales business 
we see will be shrinking dramatically because the number of parts required in, in electric vehicles in particular are, are, are dramatically different. And even if we stay within the uh, internal combustion engine space, as technology improves, service intervals become longer, parts wear less, warranty is driven down, and so on and so on. So it doesn't matter, even if we weren't being forced into a new business model, uh, the parts and service business as a profitability uh, center is under major, major threat. And for OEMs as well, because a massive proportion of their total business profitability is reliant on, on their parts business. The other sign that we're noticing is that OEMs are starting to get more and more involved in what the traditional dealer space is, for instance, your F&I departments. So they're starting to launch their own finance products, launching their own insurance products, other value-added products. And again, this will be a threat uh, to dealers as OEMs try and scramble around for new channels or broaden channels so they can protect their own profitability. So in the symbiotic relationship between dealer and um, OEM, I think there's going to be a hell of a lot of very, very tough conversations around how do both parties remain sustainable, yet deliver a competitive customer experience, which probably leads me to the last area of, of, of disruption is who owns the customer? And the, 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 the OEM or franchise or manufacturer out there that is quickest able to own that customer understand that customer and able to, more importantly, start predicting their needs will be the winner. I think it's also recognized that the levels of loyalty towards brands, particularly with the millennials, is declining. And it's who understands me in the moment and is able to satisfy my need in the moment. So it's about the immediacy of the purchasing process and uh, the experience that the customer is using. So the traditional 45 time day uh, cycle from sort of interest through to delivery. Uh, customers do their research online and so on and so on. By the time they get into the retail space, you know, they've already been considering purchasing an alternative vehicle for four weeks odd uh, is the general experience out there. And then doing a couple of test drives, do this, do that. So the purchase cycle from, from, from intent all the way through to actual acquisition of the vehicle is about 45 days, but we're seeing that coming down constantly. And with millennials, it's far more functional, far less an emotional purchase saying, what's in it for me? Which also talks to a product that we've recently uh, launched called NurtureView. And NurtureView says, at a, at a philosophical level, the more we automate, the more we need to humanate. And I'll just expand on that concept for a moment. So in our our quest and the rush of everybody to go and, and automate and, and, and drive efficiencies and have everything in the online space and trying to address immediacy and having solutions immediately there. Customers are saying, but hang on, I'm still an individual. I don't want to go into the sausage machine. I want to talk to a person about my needs. And that is where NurtureView comes in. And it says, I want human interaction at some point. I don't mind doing my research online. And I don't mind those processes being automated. But when I actually hit the button, often the need is I want to talk to somebody. And I don't want that person to be a salesperson because they've got a conflict of interest here. So what we've done is we've created a sort of a sales concierge type service where we nurture the relationship between, uh, between the customer and ourselves until they give some form of a, a buy signal. For instance, by the way, do you know what my trading would be worth? Or, by the way, do you know if I qualify for finance? Those are clear purchasing signals, buying signs. And then we'd say, can we put you through to the salesperson? We will arrange the test drive for you. Or can we put you through to the F&I and the business management department? And they will uh, take your finance application. And then we go back to them and we create that trust relationship. So if you've got any problems, talk to us and we'll solve them. So it's a true sales conscious service. And we nurture that relationship throughout the ownership cycle be three, four years until the repurchase happens. So we never actually say goodbye once they're purchased. We continue throughout the after-sales cycle, continually trying to understand their needs and then satisfying those needs 
And it's even if it, if there's even if there isn't a commercial relationship at that point, it's all about building trust and long-term vested interest in you as the individual customer. So that's that difference or subtlety between the automate and the humanate. And NurtureView is our solution for that. Now, Andreas, what are the actions dealers and OEMs can take to mitigate that control and keep that control of the customer? What are the type of things they need to be doing to, to do that? Uh, John, there are a number of, of, of things that both OEMs and dealers are, 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 are initiatives that they're taking to solve that. I think getting back to that principle of immediacy, we have a variety of tools, particularly in the after-sales after space that are, are, are gaining a lot of traction at the moment because the new car market is under so much pressure with a lack of supply, lack of stock, that the focus has shifted to after-sales. And the mitigation of these risks that I was talking about and understanding the customer is that we know there are critical points where customers defect and they moments of truth. It's a, it's a labored term, but customers remember certain incidences and based on those incidences, they all decide whether they're going to support you as a franchise network or alternatively support the non-franchise network or alternatively defect from the brand completely. And how does one mitigate those things? It's about intelligence again. So we, uh, at a transactional level, uh, for instance, we have a, a solution called a VOR, which is Vehicle Off-Road, which is one of those moments of truth where customers decide, will I continue supporting this franchise, this brand, this product, based on how long my car stays in a workshop? That vehicle being off-road is a critical, critical moment and experience in the customer's life. Often the solutions are simple, but what we do as part of our solutions and what's unique about us, there are many vehicle off-road type solutions out there, but what's unique about ours? Well, first of all, is it is, requires integration into a couple of subsystems. It requires integration into the dealer DMS systems, and we scrape those on a daily basis overnight at a transactional level. The second thing that it requires is if there is a problem, you normally have to be able to integrate to solve a problem very, very quickly with, let's say, OEM warranty systems. What is the history on this car? Is this car still under some form of a maintenance plan or a warranty? How quickly can we solve this problem? Uh, thirdly, are we integrated into the OEM part systems? Are we integrated into the dealer part systems? So through that process, uh, we can either buy out a part from an alternative dealer or get it from the OEM should they have the stock. And all of these things are integrated. So while a vehicle is off-road, it can immediately create a ticketing system, a ticket in the parts uh, system, or it triggers that a courtesy car needs to become available uh, for that customer to minimize the inconvenience that they're experiencing. Or if it's related to price, that there's a special pricing mod module, parts pricing module, that a query can be loaded on that module to try and massage the price that it's affordable to that customer. So there's a variety of things we're doing, and, and this is the beauty about One Global's products is they're all integrated. So you're not looking at a siloed solution. It's integrated across all aspects and data that has a bearing on trying to solve that customer's issue as soon as possible. So it, one can take a bad experience, like a vehicle breaking down or being towed in, and turn it into actually a moment of delight and joy. The customer says, I know why I've invested in your brand and your products, because we understand that things go wrong, but guess what? You treated us specially and sold it immediately, and you communicated with us and told us what the status is and what you're doing to resolve it. That's, what's, that's the customer expectation. They understand things can go wrong. It's how you respond to it. Now, Andreas, where have you rolled this tool out so far? Which countries have you rolled it out in? At a strategic level, we've made a decision to specialize in, in developing markets. So our footprint is, is throughout Africa, throughout the Middle East, throughout Eastern Europe, throughout the subcontinent, India, down into Vietnam, Korea, into the Philippines. We're rolling out interesting one of our solutions right now in the Philippines. We also in Australia. And in our gamification platform, which I'll talk a bit about later, because I think that is part of the digital space where we also have a unique offering We throughout South America and uh, Central America, Mexico. So uh, we're not in the North America, and we've got a very, very small influence in Canada. But, but generally speaking, we're not in North America, we're not in China, and we've got a very, very small footprint in, in Western Europe. So 
Eastern Europe, we we in every single country in Eastern Europe, but not Western Europe. So we've 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 consciously just said the, the the developing world is our our space. That's what we own. Secondly, our cost structure is a developing world cost structure. So we are able to charge not in US dollars or euro or one of the, the, the currencies out there which are strong and generally speaking, the developing world markets can't afford. We've also, due to our, our, our technological advantage, we've been able to roll out our systems in Vietnamese, as an example, in Thai, uh, in, in Korean, uh, Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese, Spanish, and so on and so on. So uh, we have a multitude of languages that our, our, our offerings and our solutions have been translated into as well. So it's interesting, Andre. So that moment of truth, the, there is really good data from one of our previous guests on the show, uh, Ben Sullivan. And Ben uh, is a director at, at Potentiate who do our industry surveys for customer satisfaction, do a lot of brands and measure customer satisfaction and those moments of truth. And there's actually, John, some fantastic data that supports if you can treat a breakdown situation or a customer problem situation with good communication and a process that shows A, that you care, genuinely care, B, you communicate, and C, you actually provide a solution. You're like, you'll actually have a higher customer satisfaction score than if you just had a customer that everything went well with their vehicle, they came in for service and, and everything went out okay. So it's really important to utilize this tool, for example, the VOR tool, that when there is a problem, don't let something silly like someone forgetting to order that wiper motor that keeps that vehicle off the road because that customer is inconvenienced a by having the vehicle off road but b then there's the whole hassle of having if it's if it is still drivable with a wiper motor it's not but if they have to come back again and that just exacerbates that frustration and actually will turn that customer against you the business doing business with them and then b the brand so it really is an important thing for the point of sale business, being the dealership or the franchise service operator or even the aftermarket service operator that's linked into a repair group that's utilizing this VOR system with their parent so that both parties have the good customer experience that's going to retain that customer in that business. Yeah, Mark, I think you make a good point there because often the process breaks down through poor communication for whatever reason. Someone's on leave or they're sick or they forget to tell someone else to do something. So I think having, I think, Andreas, your tool, having all those parts all communicating with each other so it doesn't fall through the cracks. Am I right with what I'm saying there? Just getting back to what Mark was, the insights that Mark shared there is our data supports that absolutely. And I think where the next frontier is, is that OEMs, by the time they've analysed their warranty statistics and understood various things that have gone wrong in the past, you know, a couple of months have, have, have already uh, gone past. Then they go back to their suppliers and they say, we think we've got an engineering problem here. Could we put in some form of engineering change request and optimise the part design or whatever the case may be? You're looking at a, probably about a two-year cycle. So to truly address uh, issues relating to the customer, once you've gone through the OEM processes, it's too late. So what we're finding that long before any warranty data uh, or other OEM type data can be analyzed and picking up a trend either by incidence or by cost or whatever the case may be is, on our uh, data analytics, we are really able to share with the OEM, say, listen, yesterday the following happened. And we're picking up that there's this trend already long before you've processed your warranty claims, long before you've uh, said, hang on, there's a cost item here, this line is running away with us. What's going on here? And I think the again, the, the, it's 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 not just integration, integration, but the the challenge is saying, well, what is the data telling us, and how do we mitigate risk going forwards, and immediately being able to address that, but at an individual customer level or an individual VIN number level. So it's not seeing things in clusters and groups. It's highly individualistic, either at a VIN number or vehicle level or at a customer individual level, because it's a, it's a personal individual experience that each customer has. And our data then picks it up, 24 hours old. We're able to interpret it. We feed it to the OEMs. It goes right up to the country leader. It's not left at a junior level. Uh, it's left throughout the organization. They have access to these insights. 
And then we warn them and we tell them, listen, guys, there's, there's an issue that needs urgent attention. And it, again, opens up tickets within the customer care modules. So everybody is aware of the challenge and everybody's on board in terms of finding the solution as soon as possible. And what it further also allows us to do, which is, as I said, the next frontier is understanding from a predictive perspective, what are we going to do? Because you have to start predicting from data analytics that the following customers, if you start segmenting them, have the following needs and you can start addressing them. And importantly, it must not only be on a transactional level, it must be on a relationship level. There's a transactional component because we've got to fund ourselves and we've got to remain profitable. But customers are sick to death with their wallets being pillaged. And that's the only thing at time they hear either from the OEM or the dealer with some other offer that is slightly better than yesterday's offer. So it's about how do we build relationships with customers as well as have a transactional relationship. And I'm guessing, Andreas, it also picks up uh, from a micro perspective within the dealership if there's someone who's dropping the ball. So it operates at that level. It operates at a geographic level if we, we identify there's groupings where we have higher VOR situations versus others. And then also from an inventory perspective, if we're not if we're dropping the ball from an inventory management perspective, that we're not carrying enough of these widgets or these wiper motors, we need to make sure we've got sufficient supply because there's been a production run. We can go back to the supplier and say we have a, we've had a spike from this date onwards. So can you check your validation process that we've actually got a problem? And there's a predictor then that we're going to need more again because there's a batch that are faulty that are out in the field and we know they're going to fail at some point. So then you can apply it from that side of things. So there's a multitude of macro and then geographic and then micro within people and process within the, the dealerships and the, or, the, or the businesses themselves. Mark, you're going to hit the nail on the head. The, the supply chain constraints that the world is facing at the moment are particularly acute. So these sort of traditional rules that we've had about minimum, maximum levels in terms of part stock holding, what should your reorder parameters be, and all other aspects around parts optimization. And we have, by the way, again, a solution here called Inventory View, which optimizes parts, parts inventory. But the world is, is, is having to learn a whole new set of rules about what should we stock? What should those minimum quantities be? What should the reorder parameters be? But more importantly, our suppliers to the industry are facing the same challenges that the OEMs and dealers are, and, and they're just unable to supply. But what mitigating or alternative solutions are we putting in place to keep customers traveling? So the mobility side of the solutions are, are suddenly becoming more and more focused uh, or enjoying focus so that customers remain mobile. So, and, and I, I personally don't see this being resolved for at least another year. And by that time, again, technology has moved and the agency model will be more prevalent and all sorts of other things. So it's just the rate of change is becoming faster and faster and faster. And the person who has the data, the person who understands the customer and owns that customer will determine who, who wins and who loses and who's still in business in five years' time and who isn't. So I think there's going to be some severe casualties in the industry be it wholesale or be it retail. Um, so we've got a few challenges in here, years ahead of us. Andres, does your tool allow you to sort of hold people accountable and measure them in terms of how well they're performing in terms of that space? Yes, that's key, John. We, we measure it at a, at a technician level, be it a service advisor level, um, the, within the OEM environment, the various people that are on, on the hook so we use our, our gamification platform there to sort of as a, as a name or shame type uh, environment to, to foster process change. So game, let me talk a bit about Behaviour View. Behaviour View is, is, is a gamification platform, particularly when we roll out our systems or we want to have a specific change in people's behaviour or a process, we gamify the solution and reward people for the right practices. Now, interestingly, one of, one of our customers is using it from a culture change. They had a merger between a French organization and a South African organization, and there were two very different cultures there. And catching somebody doing something right, presenting the evidence on the gamification platform, and then that person being recognized or rewarded 
And it doesn't necessarily always have to be financial reward. Just recognition alone amongst your peers drives people's behavior. Often uh, financial rewards or other forms of recognition are used. But we find it's extremely important for organizations when we're going through disruption that we are now, for people not to default back to Mark, what Mark was saying, my spreadsheet or my previous process or the way I used to, to solve these problems in the past. It's not good enough and we have to quickly adapt and our gamification platform facilitates that process. It's also our only solution that we deploy outside of the motor industry. And I take a bit of uh, perverse delight uh, invoicing people like Dell Computers and Microsoft and other people like Kaspersky, the internet virus guys that use our gamification, gamification platform that are not in the automotive space. Uh, and us as a, as a software developer and supplier to, to, to sell them solutions back who are also themselves software and, and, and computer guys. So uh, that's, uh, I'm quite proud of that achievement. Now, Andreas, I'm keen to understand, so what's One Global doing to help dealers and the OEMs in the, the, the game of the future? So the gamification is one bit. What else is, is you guys are doing? I don't have a, I don't have a sort of a one-liner type answer for that, and it's, it's it's basically everything that we do is is transforming that relationship. So the parent, there's been a, a strong sort of parent-child relationship between OEM and dealer, and that's that's also changing because often worldwide there's a consolidation into bigger, fewer dealers. Bigger dealers, fewer dealers, and often these dealers are of such a size and that they 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 almost starting to dwarf the OEMs in that Pacific market. They're becoming bigger than the OEM, and so that parent-child type relationship, it's far more equitable now. They're having to operate in a more mature level, not the naughty policeman type level. It's got to be collaborative. It's got to be that we support each other and grow together. The business jointly solve problems or not told how they're going to operate their businesses. There's a relaxation in investment in terms of corporate identity. None of these massive showrooms, possibly over-investment, rather looking what's actually important, what do customers consider important? And on the basis of that, redefining the relationship as well as the relationship with the customer and the experience that the customer is getting. Remember, as we go into online tools, the showroom floor, and that experience and look and feel is, is being diluted. It becomes less and less and less. So how do I remain relevant as well as separate and distinguish myself from my competitor in the online space? And the dealer will play an absolutely pivotal, pivotal role here because they've got the one-on-one -on -one relationship with the customer. Even though the OEM is trying to enter that space, they can't be in all places and all things to all people and as decentralized as a dealer network can be, plus you've got a massive used car park out there and somebody has to buy these cars and sell these cars and offer fair value back to the consumer. And the OEM isn't geared around that. And our tools and systems are geared around the full value chain at retail, be it new cars, be it used cars, be it uh, the F&I side, parts and service. The other uh, side of it that I think is becoming important is the experiential side. So the consumer is demanding that I only, don't only act, interact with you on a, on, in the online space, I want an experiential side as well. And it's, it's something we have an industry haven't unlocked yet. Uh, I think we've got a lot of learnings to do there and we can possibly go and have a look at other airlines, like the airline industry, the hotel industry, and other guys in the service space, the service industry space, and adopt their best practices as well as be innovative uh, in the automotive in the automotive industry. So again, lots of questions, not necessarily all the answers, but I think our role in that will be to that we we've got data, we get data refreshed all the time, and the data, we let the data speak to us and then we provide solutions that are bespoke or tailor-made to that specific environment, that specific incident, that specific geography, that specific uh, dealership. Uh, OEM or customer base. Andreas, you've actually said a few things right at the very end 
that the light has gone off in my head, which which is one of those oh shit moments where everything <laughs> just the light just went off. Going, my God, you summarised it perfectly with what it's the game is about. We had a podcast early or late last year, early this year, John, uh, with Adiba, and Adiba is a PhD student who has written her thesis on the franchise dealer model. And she talked about the power imbalance between dealer and OEM. But you've highlighted something that is definitely changing in that because the bigger dealer, the group, dealer group's getting bigger and the mum and dad dealers are disappearing. And that's where the OEMs had more power over them. But also it, those, those mum and dad dealers would be a frustration to the OEMs because they all performed at different levels. So if you're the OEM, you want to have standards out there and your tools, uh, when you talked about dealer view and even just tools to manage your network, are ways of you trying to manage basically those parent-child. And then we know that, we all know that if you've got multiple kids, no two kids are the same. You'll have one kid doing one thing, they'll be very studious, the other one's a bit naughty, and then you'll have a blend of in-between. So trying to manage those children to get the same result is going is always very hard. But you've got tools in order to help the parent-child relationship. But the children are changing. And you mentioned before, the children are actually as big as the parents, if not bigger. And it's a bit like the kids now, they're a lot taller than the parents and all that sort of stuff. You try to you look up to your kids now instead of look down uh, when they grow up. It's, the hormones in the chickens, I don't know. But the same goes for dealers. They're getting bigger, but how they're getting bigger and better is because they're using tools like yours, because you actually said something, and I wrote it and underlined it on my page here. The relationships and the recognition's an important bit, but the person who owns the customer and the person who understands the data can then connect best with the customer, communicate and give them the best experience and feeling, therefore have the best deliverables. But you can only do that if you're measuring it and you take away all the subjectivity and be very objective in the performance. And you put structure and processes in place, which you have in your dealer view tool. So they, therefore, the dealer can use those tools to make sure their children within their businesses are performing correctly, because the goal is to have that connectivity and the communication. And if you've got a vehicle off-road situation, that's a moment of truth. What do we need to do about it? There's an action plan in place that we follow to address it. So we can then keep that customer happy. And the other thing that you said that was really strong is that there's this desire for who owns the customer, who actually owns the customer. And OEMs, we, I know we're guilty of it, always wanting to, our customers, the dealers that's doing it on our behalf. But it's, it is the other way around as well. So one thing OEMs are not good at, and you said it right at the very end, is the used car business. Because OEMs are all about keeping that factory going, delivering new cars, and everyone have driving around a new car. But we know, John, with our discussions with Michael and a number of other our, our, our guests on the show, the used car market in this country is more than double the new car market. The car park, new cars are a million new cars a year, but there's 20 million cars on the road. So there's a lot of used cars that get churned over and need to be serviced and maintained and they're providing all the service work for older service outlets. But the new car service space is getting less. So dealers are very good at that used car business, but they need to have the right tools to do that effectively and still use the same vehicle off-road metrics because a used car owner, that's a new car to them. It still is a new car. So they need to make sure they use the right tooling to manage that relationship because they will then keep that customer and they may change between brands, but they still retain that customer and then eventually sell them a new vehicle, whether it's a new used vehicle or a new vehicle. So there's lots that they need to do and you help both parent and child, even though the, child's, the children are quite big, to do this. So I, I think it's, there's some real light, light bulb moments here for me. Well, beautifully put. So that relationship at a metaphoric level is now becoming adult to adult. Yeah. The, the used car space, as you also correctly point out, has never been really understood by the OEMs. It's also a space where the non-franchise side of the market is extremely active. But, but that's not the point. The point is what you were making earlier, is that the, 
customer views their purchase as importantly as the new car buyer, and their expectations are identical, absolutely identical. Every research that we've ever seen, as well as our own internal uh, metrics, confirm that the customer has the exact same expectation. And how do you drive them back into the franchise network and to the, the sort of original equipment manufacturers rather than the non-franchise network is by delivering an experience which is identical to the new vehicle ownership experience. So we encourage that. And our, our, our sales conscious service uh, looks at that entire ownership cycle rather than just at the point of where the transaction takes place. And I think the... OEMs, as well as the dealer groups who understand these, these dimensions clearly, uh, will prosper. A new car department is only as healthy as its used car department. That's where the blockage takes place. That's where our cash is tied up. That's where our profitability goes out the window if we don't manage it correctly. It's a major profit center, but it also can be the Achilles heel. And uh, the OEMs, because they don't understand this, keep wanting to put new car product, push it down the dealer's throat. And the dealer can't consume because the used car departments are blocked. So the used car space is something that we concentrate on and our tools as well ensure that there's no significant difference in how the new vehicle experience is for customers versus the, the used experience. So critically important and not well understood by the industry, except at retail. Retailers are good at it, OEMs not so good at it. And those OEMs that have shifted to the agency model have found this particularly challenging. And because they don't have the skill set, they also don't know how to solve it. And it gets back to your question earlier. So what are we doing to, to, to facilitate and mitigate this potential uh, challenge in the industries? Our, our tools do do that. And our direct sales platform that we've, we're developing at the moment takes is, is, is cognizant of this and looks at the, at the, the solution as, as a total ownership experience rather than not just a, a moment in time when a person buys a new car or tries to trade in a used car. So it, it, it's, it's a 360-degree circular loop where we never stop having a relationship with that consumer. And the people that understand that principle best will grow their market share the most. Now, Andreas, your nurturing tool, are you restricted to only supplying that in South Africa or could you provide that tool into, Australia, into a market like Australia? Interestingly, John, we have, we have uh, uh, NurtureView has operated in Australia, not with OEMs, interestingly, but dealer groups have, have successfully used NurtureView and we've done many campaigns successfully in Australia. I won't mention any of the OEMs. I think that would not be fair, but uh, we... In South Africa, as you know, as well as Australia, we've very successfully applied it. Um, we've just um, been given uh, 60,000 customer leads to nurture by one of the volume brands. And um, we anticipate this growing to a couple of million uh, leads, uh, service type leads. In other words, post, post the, the new vehicle purchase cycle to go and get those customers back because they don't have new vehicle product. And the business intelligence to know which who are these customers, when are they defected, why are they defected, where have they last gone to, what is their likely next service need, et cetera, et cetera. We've proved uh, to be very successful and our closing ratios, uh, are, 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 are we're pretty proud of them. It's around about 10% uh, of customers that we've managed to contact, we've won back. And around about 40% of customers that we've contacted, um, we've brought them back into the franchise network. Uh, rather than um, they've defect, you know, gone to the non-franchise network. So we do customer enrichment as well, data enrichment about customers. So those that have totally defected, we don't know who they are, we can't contact them, we don't know, have email addresses, cell phone numbers, anything like that is the data enrichment side. And we, we're getting those guys back at around about a 10% rate. And those that have defected, but let's say to another network or uh, changed dealers or done something to that effect, but it's recent and we still have their contact details there. Our closing ratio is about 40%, which is admirable if you consider the revenue potentially in parts and labor sales uh, when we don't have any new car stock. No, that's, uh, there's some real light bulb moments there, Andreas. That's, uh, that really makes so much sense. You know, if, if you know, you've got dealer view, you've got the communication tool, location view, I think is a brilliant one that you actually work out where you need to have the, 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 the businesses so they can be profitable because that's always a pain point. Right now, 
uh, it doesn't matter in this country at least anyway, because no matter where you are, you'll be doing okay. But we know that's going to turn. It's a matter of time when supply comes back and and then uh, and and you you're right. The supply will come back right at the time that the service work will drop away because there'll be more EVs and more efficient ICE vehicles. So the front the the fixed overhead coverage or the absorption will reduce the real estate prices are high so the rental returns or rent will be high and the labor costs are going up because there's finally some pressure on labor because otherwise people will leave so right now it's the tipping point is about to go the other way so it's the efficiency and the person who understands the data and understands the customer is definitely the one that's going to come out the other side with a competitive advantage versus those that have just done what they've always done. Perfectly again put, Mark. I think that succinctly understands what the strategic landscape looks like, certainly for the next two years. And what you also correctly pointed out is those tipping points, they're coming, the, the, the time intervals between those tipping points are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So just as you've adjusted your business to whatever the current challenge is the next one's looming and building on the horizon. So yes. you've got some beautiful times ahead of us. And you're <laughs> yes. right. It's about, it's about data. Right. It's about understanding process. It's about taking out waste, building inefficiencies, automating everything, but not losing touch from a humanate, as I call it, perspective. Yep. You've got to remain human. You've got to be able to be accessible to your customers. You can't just push them into online sales and online platforms. There's a, there's a place for everybody, the online and digitization space, but the human element must not be sacrificed. And I think that sort of recipe, and if you can get that balance right, with the data giving the intelligence, uh, we can prosper as an industry and we'll continue to prosper as an industry. And again, the adult-adult type relationship, I think any OEM that's trying to be parent-child at the moment uh, is going to come up short. It's interesting in the dealer satisfaction surveys here, when you now take a step back, and, and I've got the beauty of hindsight now with my silver hair, is the, the franchises that have the parent-child relationships always rated low from a satisfaction perspective. The franchises that the, there was a closer parity between OEM and dealer where there was a mutual respect from an adult-to-adult -adult perspective uh, always had a higher satisfaction rating. Andres, thanks very much for joining us. It's been, a, I think, a fascinating discussion. Uh, we really enjoyed it. And I think you've brought across some very interesting points about what's going to happen in the industry. So thanks very much for joining us today. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks, John. Thanks, Mark, as well. Andres, thank you. Forward, you guys have got a magnificent chat. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. Hopefully you got as much out of the conversation with Andreas as we did. Some amazing topics that we covered off and some very strong light bulb moments on who owns the customer, who understands the data and having a simplified platform uh, that's web-based that addresses all the issues in good interactions between OEMs and dealers. Now, if you liked what you heard, subscribe to the channel by ringing the bell below so we can give you notifications of future podcasts. Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook. And we are also available on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks very much for listening.